Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here with me for our final ride in this fast and furious summer is the man who will always be my brother, Patch. Hello, everyone. You know, it seems fitting that Furious 7 would be our final episode to cover in this series because it is by far the most emotional and largely due to the tragic passing of Paul Walker before the film was completed and then how this is handled within the story. But Patrick, there are some other powerfully tender moments in this film as well, which I found to be perfect for us. And if you're wondering why we're calling this our last episode, it's because we have already covered Fate, aka The Fate of the Furious, in episode 54, which, wow, that was a long time ago. Like, literally almost 200 main episodes. I Instant. know, it's, it seems very close. It does. More than it should, right? <laughs> it does, right. And then we've also already talked about Hobbs and Shaw in episode 180, which also was like a wow moment for me when I was like, that's even that is like 60 episodes ago. We've been busy little beavers. I guess so. Yeah. So listeners, be sure to check those out. And when you're done here, if you haven't already or are watching back through the series alongside us, one quick announcement first, in case you did not get a chance to listen to Friday's episode on Tokyo Drift or chose not to for whatever terrible reason. Uh, we wanted to make sure everyone knows that Mean Girls has won our July patron donor pick, and we will have that episode for you next week. Bonus coverage for patrons will be us determining our Mount Rushmore of Fast and Furious series vehicles. This, I think, is going to be a super fun one to compile and argue with Patrick. <laughs> Yes, it's going to be really good. Both are going to be very fetch, if I may say so myself. Oh, no, you did. You, you I did. 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 I did. I'm going to, yeah, it's it's on. It's are we going to do the whole episode in, like, Mean Girls speak? No, <laughs> okay. no, we were not. No, I, I, I can't sustain that. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't sustain that. Whatever. Wait, is, what? that, is that Clueless? Is that the one that that's lost? Clu- that's Clueless. Whatever, that's I get them confused. Whatever, see? <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> listeners, you can get that bonus episode and all of our extra content for as little as $1 a month over at patreon.com slash feelinfilm. We would love to have your support and have you become an extra special part of our own familia. And speaking of family, Patrick, it is time for our one-word takeaway. And <laughs> what is your one-word takeaway, Patrick? <laughs> shocker it's family <laughs> wow it's just crazy yeah it's surprising to everyone listening even if you're just tuning in for this first episode um or for the first time with this episode should i don't know really why you're doing that that's just nuts but yeah family is completely appropriate for this one i think in a lot of ways more so than the others because James Wan doubles down on this concept. I think he just goes all in. He takes the template, the vision from Justin Lin, and he says, all right, you left me something great. I'm not going to let you down. And when you have such a meta thread going throughout this, where you have this cast of people, this family on screen that's also a family off screen, seeing how some of these characters taper off, how they kind of end their arcs, 
how their arcs kind of resolve themselves, it really, really emphasizes how important family is. And I am absolutely in love with the fact that this is something that comes to the forefront of this particular entry, that it really is family versus family. You know, one family is trying to get revenge. One per- one family is trying to keep from having one more funeral, that kind of thing. And so it's in your face, and I'm okay with that because if it's not, then we're watching a different franchise altogether because this is what it's all about, Aaron. And I think this, I don't know if it's the apex of the franchise in terms of like wow movies, but I do think it's the apex of the franchise in terms of hitting this theme in the crosshairs. Wow, that was incredibly well said. And I'm not even going to add too much because I just would echo everything you just said. I agree. The family versus family aspect of this was incredibly powerful for me, uh, especially this time around. And the fact that this is the final time that this family is together because it changes. It has changed over time, but this is when obviously Paul Walker's last scenes were filmed. And so at this point, the series going forward, it does change and it does take a different tone when he's gone because there are movie losses in this family, i.e. Han. And then there are real losses. And when you take a character like him out, that's been there since the first film, you can't be the same. It can be similar but it cannot be the same. And so I think that you're right. For me, it was the apex, essentially, of that theme as well uh, in so many ways. I found it incredibly emotional uh, multiple times, more so than I expected. I thought I would just cry about the end of this film, and then it was happening to me more than I expected. Um, I, could, To be honest with you, I found it to be just nearly perfect. <laughs> and I would even gladly consider putting it in the trophy room because there's only a couple of things that even made me roll my eyes and they're so minor that it's just like they're overwhelmingly you know trumped by the awesomeness of this movie from an action standpoint but also like you said i think thematically it's just so strong in that way but i absolutely adored it and i'm really glad i'm so 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 glad like i said earlier that we get to end on this one because fate does take that step back. And while it's still a very good film, it's still very enjoyable, it's still characters we love, it is a noticeable difference in tone. And and what James Wan did in taking the reins from Justin Lin was just, it was almost like a perfect handoff, right? You almost, you think of it like, uh, like a relay race. Of course, I'm sure they were doing it in, you know, speedy, um, import cars instead handing off the baton from one to another at the end of like the drag strip or something. That's what I envision at least. Kind of like Ramsey, you know, jumping from one car to yeah, another. Yes, that's thing. exactly what it was. They, yeah, <laughs> they just, they did a spin around and just passed the franchise across. <laughs> yeah, that's how it went. And then when they tried to pass it at the end in fate, it was more of like a, you know, parking garage crumbling or something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to give a spoiler warning. We're going to discuss this film in full. We're going to talk about everything as we usually do on this show. So if you haven't seen it already, I, yeah, I don't know why you're here, but 
come back next week or whatever. Go watch this movie and then you can listen to this episode. But you're going to enjoy this. I think it's going to be a good conversation. And to get started, Patrick, I want to begin how we have begun so many of these episodes, which is talking about the opening action scenes. This film is a little different. It has not one single action set piece that it opens with, but rather a collection, I would say, of sort of maybe up to three kind of opening sequences that introduce us to each character, mainly starting with the awesome, I want to say, pan in of starting with his view out of a window and pulling back to see Deckard Shaw looking out this beautiful window at this vista, the mountainside, and then turning to this carnage in a hospital in which he has completely wrecked to where his brother is there. He's seeing his brother, you know, in a hospital bed. And and it is so memorable, him walking out of that building. I, I found it to be such an interesting way to shift from car action to start the series. And also not even to show us Deckard Shaw doing all of those things. I thought it was a really powerful move to show the carnage after the fact to let us fill in those gaps for ourselves and think about this is a bad man. And and I honestly think that not seeing it <laughs> sort of helps because you don't have to get taken out of a scene by any bad CGI or, you know, unlikely fight moments. You, your head kind of pictures what maybe happened and you just immediately go to this guy is the real deal. So I wondered, you know, how did that scene land for you? And then from there, we actually get some good stuff with Dom and Letty and with Brian. We could probably talk about those when we get to their sections uh, individually, but just the way that the opening was structured for you, uh, did you like it as well as you have some of the others in the series where they do start with like that awesome car racing action-packed moment? I did. And here's where I think it's fun to see a handoff to a different director and what they're going to do in a series. This is kind of where we start to feel a little bit more Mission Impossible-esque in terms of seeing the creative stamp that a director, writer, whoever's different on the film puts into it. And it's a very mature movie. And I'm not saying that the other movies were not, but I'm really okay with calling Justin Lin's movies really fantastic, high-energy music videos. Because that's his style. Like, you've got the fast shots with the slow-mo, the, really the ramp, you know, the steady ramping up of the of the scenes. You've always got what seems like really hot girls dancing around in street race environments. And when you start with something like this, where we're being introduced to Deckard Shaw, not technically for the first time, but really for the first time in the feature, and we get that pan out, you're right. Being able to piece together what kind of man this guy is, what his motives are, how mad he actually is, and really how 
he establishes himself as someone that is not easy to take down. What it does is it allows us to suspend a little bit of believability throughout the rest of the movie where when we see him get captured, you know, he and Dom are chasing each other and they eventually have that crazy standoff with their two vehicles. You know, he's not going down at that point Uh, when he is faced with being caught by Mr. Nobody in the God's eye, you know, he's not going down and having an opening sequence like this. it's, It's just a lot of fun. I think it really puts you in the seat of entertainment of like, look, I'm, I'm in, I'm ready to see this. And it made me smile because I love Jason Statham. I have really enjoyed his action movies, even as far back, I say as far back, even in the days of, I think it's the Italian job. I think that was my first experience with Jason Statham and he doesn't change. I mean, he is just this edgy, cool you don't want to mess with him because he's got the edge until he doesn't, you know, and, and it's great because he's a character that is powerful enough that when he does get his comeuppance, it seems justified. It seems like even when you've gotten him, you haven't quite gotten him. You know that something's got to happen at some point to kind of bust him out of prison or to get him out of the situation he's in. So having a, a setup like this at the very beginning puts us in a position where we start to believe that he really is this powerful guy because when you progress villains up to this point, I don't think we've had a connective tissue besides an indirect connection with Braga from the previous entries to Shaw's brother. This I think is, it's very risky because it's like, okay, we believe that this dude from the previous movies was bad you know this shot was really bad how do you top him well now you have this great little monologue that deckard says that you were there doing it but i was the one influencing you and so we're like oh really you were and then we see this aftermath of everything he's done and we're like oh yeah you're the puppet master of the shaw family so from that moment on i become as an audience very invested in the fact that this guy is gonna be the bad guy Oh, I completely agree. And to the point of what we were saying at the beginning in our one more takeaways about family, it does immediately let us relate. Because for those of us who have been invested in this franchise, we've become invested because our crew is a family and they care about each other and they do things to protect one another and to avenge one another. And so to open with a moment of this guy telling his brother, like, he's pissed off at him. He's actually talking crap to, like, an unconscious Owen Shaw. And he's like, you know, you were you were dumb. You didn't do it right, yada, yada. And he's like, but still, you remain my cross to bear. And, of course, great imagery because he right then picks up Dom's silver cross or whatever. No, he didn't. No, 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 no. Um, it, it, but it flashes back to that in my head or whatever. But, um, no, it does. It is in there, isn't it? It's in there. The cross is in there. Because it's before he went to Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah. Because I, I was going to say, I, I remember him saying very fondly or very vividly, you remain my cross to bear and then picking up that silver cross. And I was just like, like the kind of combination of those themes was great. But yeah, it's just, it's so wonderful when you think about that because you, you immediately have to have 
some empathy for this guy too. You have to say, all right, he's lost somebody and we understand what that's like for our guys to lose somebody. And so we can at least get his motivations. It's not about stealing some high tech thing or money, right? We can relate because it's a vengeance scenario. And I, and I, and all of that like is just so quickly kind of condensed into that opening shot in a way that just kind of puts your jaw on the floor and you're like, uh Oh, <laughs> this is not good. Well, the other major story threads and I want to go through these and we'll kind of go through them, I guess, one at a time, but they're also introduced in those opening sequences. The first of which is Dom and Letty and their relationship takes much more of a progressive center piece of this movie than it has in the past, I think. And really it's about Letty and how she is adapting to life without her memories, but yet being part of this crew and who she's going to figure out whether she, whether she wants to be this person that is the same way that she, the old Letty was, or if she's new and different. And we open with Dom trying to help her figure out who she is clearly. And we pan out and they're riding and over the horizon is race wars. And I love the line of dialogue here when she's talking about it and she's like, you know, what is this? And he's like, you know, we invented it. Like this is, this is not something this is, we created this and just the look on her face. I think it's a really great performance in this movie by Michelle Rodriguez. Um, and, and it owes it to what you said about it being more mature. It's not just about over the top cheesy moments, which we love. It is about those serious moments. And, you know, she gets in there, she has this race and Obviously, he's going to smoke the guy, and she does, which is awesome. And we get to see one of our favorite beloved characters make a cool cameo, get punched in the <laughs> I chin. Love Hector. I love Hector so much. It's so fun. And when Dom's like, you never could take a punch. And Hector's just <laughs> like, uh, you know, like it's one of those awkward things where like you're really embarrassed at what he just said, and you're kind of trying yeah. to laugh it off, you know? Yeah. And then they, and then they hug because you know that they're, they're family too, right? And, it just, it kicks off, that scene kicks off this whole storyline of her getting memories back and developing this strength of character. And what I found to be a very surprising, and I say surprising, it's not like I haven't seen this movie before, but when you're watching in context of the past six films, it is very out of place just how strong Dom's romanticism comes through in this film as opposed to in the past ones not that he wasn't ever romantic or sweet and tender with letty but it seems to be that he is really giving her space in this movie and um and just doing so in a way that it really is it makes it a relationship that you not just root for but you're like man that's something i would like to be a part of i would like to have something like that in my life so you know what did you think of dom and letty in this one I absolutely loved this, and it was very much something that became more apparent about their relationship that there's a maturity. And I'm going to keep going back to that idea because I think there's a lot in this movie that feels 
like a maturing of the franchise. And it may be because James Wan is a fresh director and he's adding his own take to it. But I remember watching that scene at Race Wars and seeing her just feel older, feel more seasoned. And I think it's the actress. I think it's Michelle Rodriguez that when you watch her in the earlier films, just like when you watch her in a show like Lost, she is that person. She's that same person. Very much a badass. Very much like a woman who doesn't take any crap off of anybody. And the thing is, that hasn't changed. It's the way in which she kind of emotes that. The way in which she brings that to the forefront. Watching that race, I couldn't help but go back to the Fast and the Furious and watching her sit back with the sun glistening on her tan body and she's got the glasses like halfway down and she's like being kind of harassed by this other driver and says and he's trying to like come on to her and she's like if you want if you want tail shouldn't say that but if you want ass you can go down to the strip if you want to rush how about we do 3000 large so watching her in that scene very young very egotistical very much like nothing's gonna phase me she now is sitting in this car you know she's gonna win but that trepidation that she has not about whether she's gonna win or not but trusting dom to say that's not how i ride i thought you said ride or die and he's like look i believe in ride or die for right now let's just ride and it's it's just a different relationship it's a relationship that you don't appreciate if you have not seen them in these previous entries. The other thing I appreciate about that scene is that it of course leads to other stuff that we find out more about their relationship, their character arcs, but it would be easy. It would have been easy for Justin Lin or even James Wan to kind of ignore this experience that Letty has gone through almost being killed losing her memory those things could have been cast aside we could have quote fast forwarded in this universe and she could be right back to where she was and it took i think some real risk to say you know what let's carry this forward let's bring in more of that trepidation but let's not lose who she is i mean aaron that's the thing i loved most about furious six was the fact that her relationship with dom and the way in which she interacts with him and trying to want to be part of that family knowing that she's home even though it feels different that idea sort of continues at this point she's not as trepidatious is that the word i don't think that's a word but we, well, I, I know what you're trying to get at yeah it's 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 not as much as it has been in the previous entry which it shouldn't be because she's <laughs> been around dom but there's still a little fear there. there's still a little anxiety so watching her grow through that it's it, again, it's very mature. It feels natural. It feels like, okay, we're going to let this relationship breathe a little bit more. And and I'm glad. I'm glad that we have that because what we find out later, what we see later, makes that moment really shine. Because yeah. we have an entry of her and Dom that we may have forgotten about. And now we have that that starting point to then continue their relationship and see kind of where it goes from there. Yeah, we do. And it it's interesting because we get that great moment at race wars of nostalgia for fans of the franchise mixed with 
a perfectly reasonable character development moment for Letty to kind of have this crazy PTSD or anxiety attack, I guess I should say, of what is going on? All these people know me. All these people think they know me and I have no idea who they are. I have no idea what these expectations are. And what we get to see is, like you said, it's, it's actually handled. It's given time to develop instead of just fast forwarding. We get this great moment at the cemetery where we see Dom trying to f- do what every man does to when the woman in his life is hurting and probably every woman when the man in her life is hurting or, or the vice versa, any partner. He wants to tear down the tombstone because he thinks that that's going to make it better for her. You know, he wants to break it down because he wants her to realize that she's no longer dead. She's alive. She's, this is her, she's there. And she's like, no, no. And then she leaves, which I found to be totally believable. And, you know, if you don't rewatch the series often enough, the way that that scene plays out makes you really think she's going to be gone for the rest of the movie. Like, which I think is, Wonderful because then it becomes impactful when she walks back in, when they meet nobody and he's like, you know, I brought your team back and she comes in and she specifically says, like, I'm here, you know, like it's family. Um, and her arc, I think plays out really well. There's a moment in an action scene that we'll talk about, but like, there's just the way that she interacts with the characters, I think, is so on point. Because at one moment, what I'm talking about is after she saves Brian from going off of the side of the cliff and he is like laying on the ground, just breathing, thanking God that he is not dead. She pulls up beside him, gets out of the car and she goes, you good? And it's like this, it's the most heartless sounding like thing she could say to him, right? Like there's no like, Brian, are you okay? Or bro, like, what are you doing? That was crazy. It's just like, you good? You know, like there's, I think that I feel like it's such a great acting or, you know, writing of the character because she is not expressing the same connection that she's had with Brian in the past, because this Letty doesn't have that. You know what I mean? She's getting that with Dom. It's growing, but her relationship with Brian is, she doesn't have one. She she hasn't remembered it. And I think it plays out in moments like that. Um, And then the most brutal one, Patrick, I think we both actually kind of wrestled with whether or not to make it a connecting point because of how strongly it hit us. And that's towards the end of the film, right? When Dom is laying there, Brian's giving him CPR. And I know you want to talk about this, but like, how did that kind of elevate Letty in this movie? Yeah, that's one a for me in terms of connecting points. It to me, I think was a fantastic hold on her emotion to give us that at that moment, because she's very stoic. From the moment that she comes back, having lost her memory and getting used to being home, even then, it's very stoic. It's very reserved. I loved seeing her almost lose it. Not almost. She lost it. And she's like, if you die, she's screaming, screaming. Yeah. Look to the. Okay, if you're listening and you haven't seen The Abyss, 
This is a spoiler for the abyss. So close your ears for the next 15 seconds. This is like when Bud is trying to bring Lindsay back to life and he's like slapping her and saying, fight, fight, fight. Those moments right there, I think, are very much the visceral, emotional things that when we're not used to that in a character, they feel more authentic, which I know sounds weird, but we have never seen Letty be this emotional, even prior to her memory loss. So to see her go through this, lose her memory, come back and maintain a sense of stoicism to come to this point where we're giving little hints of, you know what, they are married. You know, she is Mrs. Alpha. And to know that that's actually something that's very sacred, something very intimate that nobody else knew, not even the family, that we see this moment where she says, I am not ready to die. And we see him eventually just kind of come back. I loved it. I absolutely loved it because it gave us this level of vulnerability in Letty that we never have seen before. But because we know her, because we know her intimate relationship with Don, it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like some girl that's about to lose her man. No, it's this woman who is about to lose the love of her life and she can't. She's not. She refuses to. It's not that it's out of her control. It might be. But in her mind, she refuses to. She will not let him die. She's not ready for that. And I think that's why it was so powerful for me because it both was and wasn't expected from her. And I think it was that surprise was a good surprise for me to feel like, oh, yeah, Letty, I know you love him. But now I know how much and how deeply that relationship is with Dom. Absolutely agree. And I think the way that the whole scene plays out is just perfect because we start with the relationship that we may have sort of leaned towards more throughout the series, which is Dom and Brian. And Brian is losing it, giving him CPR, freaking out, trying to get him to come back, like doesn't want to lose him. And Letty's screaming at him and stops Brian and then just, you know, grabs Dom and holds him in her arms and she goes through that dialogue with the the montage flashbacks a little bit where she's talking about, you know, the night we got married and if you die, I de- die, die and all that stuff and how she's not ready and she wants him to come back. But I love how it ends as well because it's perfect. It's dumb. It, the, the series never loses its characters. And that's one thing I so appreciate. They never talk out of turn. Like Dom is the same throughout the entire eight run of films, right? And whether, or, well, I guess he's not in eight technically, well, I guess he is technically, but whatever. You know what I mean? He's not in Fast and Furious 2. But the fact that his response when he comes conscious is just to say, it's about time. You know, it's like, it's the most dumb thing ever. And it's nice because it's sort of um, diffusing for us in a moment of like, I'm bawling. And I am really upset emotionally. I'm connected. And when he just says it's about time, I think it helps to kind of give me a brief grin slash chuckle and let me come out of that. But then we cut and we get to see the crew reacting and you get to see the smiles on their faces and the way and it just the happiness of them, like unrealizing that this relationship is what it is. And also that Dom is alive and 
I, I love that final piece of dialogue between the two when Letty says, why didn't you tell me that we were married? And he says, because you can't tell somebody that they love you. Mm, absolutely agree. So strong, right? It's so powerful. And so many other movies, especially an action movie, quote unquote, that is focused on that genre, that style of filmmaking would have had that character tell the person they were married so that they could bring it back. And in reality, Patrick, how many of us in real life would immediately want to tell that person, be like, no, you're my wife. Like you need to understand, like we're married. Dom is a breed apart. Like his respect for her is unrivaled because he is willing to risk her not coming back. He has hope and fully believes she will, but he's also knowingly taking that risk by not telling her these things and letting her become who she wants to become and acknowledging that it's got to happen on her own. She's got to fall in love with him again. That's hard. I don't know that I could do that. And it makes me like look up to and just like fan over the character of Dominique Toretto even more because it's not just about the muscles and the cars and the smoothness and the fighting ability. Like he's the whole package. Um, and he and Brian both really are in their own ways. And that's what makes them so special. I think, um, throughout Brian being the other arc, <laughs> Paul Walker also played by his brother in some scenes in this movie, to be honest, I don't even notice it anymore. I don't know that I, I don't even look for it. I don't, I try not to think about it. And I just, I just believe it's all Paul. Um, but Brian's arc is immediately set at the very beginning in that sort of opening scene montage of scenes. Like it's not a montage, but like collection of opening moments that gets us caught up on with each set of characters. And I love how the scene plays with, it looks like he's about to like go into a race and then he just like jolts forward in the line at the preschool or whatever, dropping off Jack at school. And so you immediately without any words are drawn in and know this means that Brian misses racing, right? He's trying to adjust. He's got this minivan and we get this early on conversation where Mia says that Brian didn't say that he you know, misses the girls or misses the cars. It's that he misses the bullets. And this theme plays out throughout the film of Brian wrestling with the idea of settling down, even though he now has this second baby on the way that he doesn't know about. She, she does this a lot <laughs> twice where she gets pregnant and doesn't immediately tell him. Uh, and so, you know, here we go. We have this thing on the horizon, a young child, but he, can't let it go completely. He even at one point is giddy about it. And Dom is like upset at him after the fight. He's like, bro, like, what do you mean? You know, you, you, you gotta get, you know, this is not okay. You've got to let this go. Um, what matters is back there. So, you know, did it, this is the last we get of him. Did this feel like, an acceptable and completion of the arc of Brian O'Connor for you. It really did. And it had to do with 
five and six. Just like with Letty, we have almost like this trilogy of these two arcs coming to completion in their own way, knowing that Brian valued family just like Dom did, but that the family was changing. The first thing he mentions, and I think it's five, is that they have everything. Maybe it's six. I can't remember. It's all running together now. But <laughs> in one of these, in one of the movies, he talks about the fact that they have everything, even the barbecue, but it doesn't feel like home. And of course, the house, L.A., that's Rip. where it is. Rip oh. 1327. I even, my wife was watching this with me and she I cried you know, about she that. Has, she has, she has no, she has no kind of context for that house or how important it is. And I was like, oh gosh. She goes, what? It just blew up. I said, babe, that house is where so many great things happened. <laughs> and she goes, okay. And I said, are you getting sleepy? You should probably go to bed. It's just the house that I'm like, stuff. no, not the house. Not the house. <laughs> but watching Brian hilariously be like real tense or just real like just ready to go with the whole van and you know feeling like he you could tell he misses it obviously and it's played for laughs but yeah the short answer is that i absolutely think that the way his arc finishes it is paid off because of how much he values mia how much he values jack and it's very much an honest duality of a guy who He's not having something taken away. It's not like Mia is taking away his manhood by saying, you need to be a dad. No, that was kind of fleshed out in one of the earlier entries where he was struggling with the concept of being a dad. And Dom was like, no, you're going to you're not going to be your dad. You're not going to be the guy that you barely remember. And I think that started the road that found its completion in this moment where his motivation to go after Deckard for killing Han and his motivation to protect Mia all made sense. It, <laughs> and it was kind of played for laughs in that regard because Mia's, I think they're back in like Rio or somewhere or Brazil. I can't remember where they are, but there's this immaculate, like I think gangster's home. I don't, I, I don't know if, was this somebody that we knew from a previous entry? I didn't recognize. I wanted it. to bring this up. I'm so glad that you are accidentally going here because let me tell you, this is the level of like depth that we are now mining from this series. Where is it? Where is it? I had it written down. I have so many notes for this movie. I got <laughs> I got to get to it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Where is it? His his, his name's Nando, I want to say. Calrissian? So, no, that's Lando. Sorry. Not Lando covers no. Or not no, Mando, no, 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 no. Man- <laughs> no, his name is Oh, here we go. It's a background connection that you won't get unless you listen to and it's like one or two lines of dialogue. Okay. His name is Mando, Armando, Armando. Okay. He says, "Listen, Dom needed a safe delivered to Rio in 2 days. That was a problem. Hosting his family in the Dominican Republic, that is vacation. Anyone messes oh. with you here, they're messing with the entire country." In Fast 5, Tej questions how they were able to obtain a similar vault. And Han vaguely says something about he and Dom having another life before they met Tej and the others. Yes. Mondo is a connection to that other life, which I find I love this stuff. And it, and it, it makes it rich for like expansion and on that, you know, later on when you're bringing characters back. So anyway, I just absolutely, I I thought that was so cool. 
So, so fan theory here. Well, two things. One, I haven't seen the, what was it? The connecting short film. Bolanderos or whatever. I need to watch that. Yeah. or something like that. That may have. Oh, he may be in that. Also, now that you're saying that, my fan theory is that if you haven't seen the trailers for Fast 9, whatever, go see him. Han makes his return, and we're wondering, how did that happen? Probably this guy, Mondo. Could be. And Mia, well, and that's where Mia was at for safety purposes, and Mia is back, too. So I'm not going to be shocked at all if Mondo comes back into play in the next movie, which is great. I think it's so cool. Yeah, but... The the place I was going with that is that, you know, he is housing Mia and Jack and and Brian's there. And I love that she says he's gone into full FBI mode, that he's got the place wired and all this different stuff. And I really think that. It's what I love about Mia and Brian's relationship because of the fact that she doesn't hold his desire and his admission to miss the bullets against him she understands it it's not an addiction for him it is a place of value for him and i don't know that the movie is saying well he's now replacing that with a family no he's not he just has to put something down because he has to be fully in with his relationship with mia and with jack and with this new child and i think that just like with any person you have to lay something down in order to pick something up that matters as much. You have to be able to put away childish things. You have to be able to look at the life that you lived and say, okay, I'm putting that away because this is now what's defining me, who I am. But I love how Mia doesn't ever make him feel bad about that, that she comes from a place of very much understanding. And that fleshes itself out from fast five where she says, no, you and Dom have to do this. You've got to protect the family. And it's not like a mafia type thing. It's really about this is who we are. We are about protecting each other. And this whole storyline serves that purpose. It's about protecting the family. Because because Deckard is slowly taking people down. And I think it was said, I don't remember if it was said by Tej or whoever, but he said he killed one of us he put another one of us in the hospital referring to Hobbes and so there's this idea that Deckard is slowly trying to deplete this family atmosphere or this family dynamic and for for Mia she knows how important it is not just to make Brian feel like he's alive again but to remind him that this is still part of who he is yeah it really really is and at the same time she wants him to take care of business and come home because she needs him. And, you know, if Paul's final moments in this film are connecting point one and Dom and Letty are connecting point one B, then connecting point one C for me was the other moment that I cried in this movie was I'm going to get emotional even talking about it, but like is him and Mia in their last conversation. And it is, handled with such delicacy patrick like this is a movie that has like literally the last hour of this movie is a freaking war zone fight in la racing it feels like it's the last hour of the movie but these moments are in there like perfectly balanced throughout 
And when he calls her, he starts, he's, he's in that protective mode. He says, if you don't hear me, hear from me in 24 hours, I need you to take Jack and move on. Do you understand what I'm saying? And her response is, we're going to have another baby, a little girl, and she's going to need her father. You have to come home to her. You have to come home to us. And Mia tells him the truth. She says, I was scared you'd be disappointed with domestic life. And he says, you know, the best decision I ever made was stepping into that store and buying a sandwich. And she goes, it was such a bad sandwich. And they're laughing. And he's like, I know, I ate a lot of them. And he says, okay, kiss Jack for me. And then they, or, or he says, I love you, Mia. And she says, don't do that. Don't say that like it's goodbye. Say something else. And he says, okay, kiss Jack for me. And you hear them hang up, Patrick. And they both say, I love you into the phone that is not any longer connected to the other person. And it is the sweetest, like in the context of the movie and the fact that you can't put them in the same room together for story purposes, it is the, I can't think of a better way to have them end their relationship essentially for us as viewers than quietly saying, I love you to each other not even being able to necessarily hear it, but knowing that it's happening. Um, and then all tied in there, you get the fun little nod to the sandwich, which, you know, if you're not invested in these movies and you're not invested in the emotional core of this series, that's not going to mean anything to you. But like we talked about it in fast and furious one episode, like that sandwich mattered so much. It seems silly, but it does. And here it comes into play and they get to bring it up as, this is the catalyst, you know, like we don't get to necessarily choose the situation that where we meet the person that we fall in love with. It could be anywhere at any place at any time where that happens for them. It's a tuna sandwich. That's right. what they're going to remember. And here's the thing, Aaron, is when you watch this movie, knowing the real life context of the fact that Paul Walker is no longer around watching this for the first time, you're like, OK, this is how James Wan's going to handle this. He's going to die. He's going to ultimately sacrifice himself for somebody, and it's going to be completely fitting. And it doesn't happen, right? And instead, we get what, spoiler alert, <laughs> what our connecting point actually is, and we'll talk about uh, later on. And it's just as poignant. It's just as perfect. And it's almost as if we are saying goodbye to Paul Walker in that conversation with Mia, like we're, we're listening into their conversation. And I think for you and I, in our hearts, we're, we're hanging up our phone and saying, we love you both. We love you, Paul. Right. And it is such a tender moment. And just like with Dom and Letty, it isn't inconsistent with their characters that that moment inside the Toretto deli with the bad tuna fish sandwich on white, no crust. It is tender. I mean, I'm not going to even, okay, I'm just going to get real metaphorical here. Think about the sandwich. It's a vulnerable sandwich, right? I know that that's not what we're doing here, but as someone who loves this franchise so much, I'm like, 
That sandwich is pretty vulnerable. It's not like he's ordering a steak or, you know, a big old, like, hoagie. How many seconds can that sandwich go from zero to 60 in Patrick? It's, it's pretty, pretty epic. It could do, do it. But you're right. It, it's a moment that I think fits perfectly into what we would be used to, what we'd be comfortable with in terms of saying it's one last mission. But at the same time, it speaks highly of the relationship that I think Brian and Mia have, but also Paul has with this cast of people. And I think it's a great way to start allowing us to say goodbye to him. All right. Well, let's move on to some fun stuff and lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> no tuna sandwiches, please. <laughs> no, no, there's no tuna sandwiches. Um, but there is a can of whoop ass. And that is <laughs> our friend, Mr. Hobbs. I actually yes. forgot to put him in the notes because he doesn't have a huge role in the film. But there are even more family moments here where we get to learn that Hobbs has a daughter. And... It's so cute the way in which he interacts with her and the way that Dom walks in and discovers and has this look on his face like, you're a dad? <laughs> like, like what in the world? And, and the little, it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And he says, he says, little girl says, uh, you know, my dad says he kicked your ass. <laughs> and Dom goes, your dad's on heavy pain meds. He's not thinking too straight. <laughs> He's misremembering. His memory's too fuzzy or something like that. And it's just, it's so cute. And then, of course, the great, I mean, really, that's all there is to Hobbs in this movie. But there's, and then the awesome moment at the end where, you know, he decides to get in the action. And he just stands up and gives us the rock of all rock moves where he's like, Daddy's got to go to work and he just flexes and his cast breaks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that. I love it. I don't care. Unabashedly. It's amazing. Um, but anyway, the film introduces us to two new characters. Okay. So we get Mr. Nobody played by Kurt Russell, uh, an action star in his own right in the past and his CIA clandestine special ops team. And then we get Ramsey, uh, played by Natalie Emanuel, the hacker. So my question is, did their addition to the crew feel like it was compatible and natural? And did it add value to the team for you? Yeah, I think it fills in gaps and it doesn't make the crew feel bloated that we've lost Giselle, we've lost Han. And I think that adding personalities, not that replicate those two, but that add a different kind of flavor is is nice i love the fact that ramsey becomes sort of a lust interest not a love interest but a lust interest of both roman and tej because i think it gives them more time to just be obnoxious it gives tej the ability to say i'm a cool nerd how dare you you know think that a hacker should have pimples and wear glasses and it allows roman to be roman to be very obnoxious and but it's not just she's not just there for eye candy she's not just there for comic relief she really does add a significant amount of value partly because she has an amazing british accent i really think that if you add a british accent to most people it gives them some street cred that 
you wouldn't get with Americans. Like half same thing stuff. with Statham, right? Like yeah, the exactly. way he just comes off it's, scarier because yeah, of it. Uh, side note: We were watching About Time. My wife and I were watching. She'd never oh. seen it before. Such a good movie. Such a good movie. We have an episode on that. Yes, we do. Plug. And it's a very good episode because it's a very good movie. But my wife commented that it, when you hear some of the lines spoken that you laugh at, they only really land because they come from a British accent. Like if an American said some of the things that Domhnall Gleeson would say, it just doesn't come across as funny. And I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but not really. What I think both Mr. Nobody and Ramsey add to the team is variety. And I think it's very fitting that Ramsey really kind of nails down the roles that we've gotten so used to. Dude, in, so good. It's very meta, right? And I think it allows us to say, okay, yeah, let's get some refreshing blood in here. And she doesn't do a lot aside from just be Ramsey. But I think it sets her up to be more useful in future entries, which we get that in Fate. Right. And with Mr. Nobody, first of all, Kurt Russell is just a classic action hero. So I'm going to watch most things with him that have explosions behind him. And I think when you when you put him against Dom and their opposites are kind of personified by the type of beer that they drink, I think that says a lot about him as sort of a not not a frontman, but really more as a as a money guy. Like, okay, I am essentially the guy behind the guy. I'm going to give you the resources you need to take out who you need to. And I think he serves that capacity really well. Not necessarily as a member of the family, but he's a lot like Hobbes to me in that he's connected to them or eventually becomes connected to them, but isn't part of that inner circle. And he doesn't need to be. But he adds just enough, and his purpose is just enough that it makes a lot of sense. They need somebody to motivate them. It can't just be a revenge story. It's got to be about something like the God's Eye that adds that layer of kind of excitement to it. Because everybody's seen a revenge story. Why don't we add something else to that and give another branch of bad guys a little bit of limelight? And I think Mr. Nobody helps kind of fuel that. I, I agree. Uh, I totally with you. And I think he and she are really awesome in this movie because they're not overly used and they're not forced into the film in more ways than they need to be. I also really like that Mr. Nobody is not confrontational with the team. He's not using the team in a way that is manipulative. He is genuinely saying, okay, listen, we have shared interests Let's help each other out. What can I do for you? And I understand you, and I'm going to give you the space to operate. And I, I love that we get one brief badass return to Kurt Russell moment when they are doing the raid. And of course, it goes terribly, and he gets shot up. But like, there's a second there where he just gets his two guns out, his two pistols, and just starts going nuts on the warlord's uh, forces. And then he gets into this, he gets shot and he gets this slow motion thing where he looks at Dom and like winks at him and then throws himself backward to pretend that he's dead. Right. It's just, it's brilliant. And it's just so Kurt Russell. Like it is, it, he is, he fits perfectly. Like the casting just continues 
up to this point to be on point literally in this film. And yeah, like you said with Ramsey, I agree. I think the fact that she's able to integrate right away in a take no crap kind of way, she is not intimidated by this crew. She is able to understand them. Like you said, that's, it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie where they're sitting there in that little gazebo. And she's like, alpha, Mrs. Alpha tech guy offended by the hacker comment, Joker. And Roman's like, wrong, wrong, double (laughs) alpha, (laughs) man, man, candy. candy. (laughs) I'm sorry. Roman is Patrick. I've raved about him this whole series, but I just love him. I love him. Love him. This is his apex right here, man. The whole leadership sequence. The whole leadership sequence is just, I cannot stop laughing the whole, whole time when he's like delegating. (laughs) That's what leaders do. (laughs) And the way that that, Guy, it's too bad the guy dies, but the way that that special ops guy, Shepard, like, yeah. looks at him, just incredulously, like, why are we listening to this guy, right? And then we get the awesome, you know, of course, moment where Roman won't go out the plane and gets forced, which is great. But yeah, like, that whole, like, that's what, what I delegated. That's what good leaders do. Leader. And just the way that he, like, conti- oh, he, he's awesome. Um, well, he's but a, yes. He's a, he's a great point of exposition, too, because... He essentially, in that conversation, reminds us of the big plot points of the previous movies. It's like, he does. I was yeah. okay when we said we're going into a, a police station to steal a, yep. steal, steal a safe. I was okay when I had to bring you know, down take a Take on a tank or whatever, yeah. yeah. Take on a tank. I was okay. When bring down a plane. I had to bring down a plane boop, boop. by myself. Shot goes, that sucker out of the sky. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> did, did I think it might have been... Like, he really but i think i think it's interesting because you know i I watched the movie tonight called life itself um it's completely different than this but it it talks about like unreliable narrator and it in the beginning of the film goes through this long sequence where it's sort of showing you the same scene from a whole different perspective or many different perspectives and one of the ideas that's presented is this thought that you know we recount stories to each other in the way that we want to remember them. And the way that we remember them is always unreliable because it is not actually being witnessed. And we, in our mind's eye, you and I might have a conversation and I, for example, might say, Patrick, I already told you that that Zoom call, we're not doing Zoom anymore, we're doing Skype. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But maybe I actually didn't tell you. Maybe I thought I told you and I thought that that's how the conversation played out. But that's how I remember it, right? You remember it fully differently. And I view this similarly to what I see from Roman in that scene where he's explaining all these things that he was a part of. And he's like, you know, yeah, I needed to shoot a plane. So I pop, pop, I shot that plane down. Like in Roman's head, Roman is a critical piece that shot the plane out of the sky when everybody else around him has a much different view <laughs> and a fuller perspective of what was taken to take that plane down. But to Roman, it's like what I did, you know, was important. And so I, I love it. I love it. And I love that they give him the space to run with it. And I love that he kind of stumbles into a good idea <laughs> It's just right there. Right there. That is the most, you know, impossible, only place on the mountain we can't go. And they're like, well, that's what makes it a good idea. Anyway, enough about Roman. Roman's awesome. So you mentioned the God's Eye. And I think that 
and this is another really strong element of this film. This it, we're ta- we're going full Mission Impossible now at this point, and I, it's fine. I'm fine with that. But what stuck out to me was how much the God's Eye presents a moral dilemma. And I understand the film couldn't get into this deeply. It's sort of hinted at at times. There's hesitation in the characters as to whether or not they're actually going to use this. But it reminded me so much, Patrick, of the same ethical situation in Batman in The Dark Knight, right? Where he just needs to use the cell phone tracking in one city, in Gotham City, to find a villain. These guys are going to use a worldwide tracking system to find someone they want to take revenge on. And then I, I was thinking, I was like, man, do we want the government to have this? Is this something we really want to turn over to Mr. Nobody? Like, I don't know that I don't trust Mr. Nobody, but the people that the CIA, like, this is not a tool that I want out in the world. Uh, I just wondered if that, did you have any of those thoughts or was it more of just like, oh, that's cool, whatever plot point to you? It's more of the latter. It's more that okay. I, I was going to actually vox you when I was watching it and say, hey, this is a lot cleaner of a solution than what we get in the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight felt real kind of rough and rugged, like kind of put together at the last minute, even though I know it wasn't. But this was like, if technology really did work, this is how clean it could be. But I never really faced that moral dilemma, mostly because the movie was kind of stuffed with a lot of, a lot of other things. And that I felt like the service that it, had as a plot point was fine as is i don't think i needed the moral dilemma aspect attached to it i think it added another layer beyond just let's get shaw no let's bring in these other like bad guys and they want something the enemy of my enemy is my friend i loved that moment of like all right let's bring in some more baddies having Honestly, Aaron, what I thought was when you add the God's eye to this, it justifies the almost exacerbated action sequence that we get for the last 45 minutes of the movie. Because I don't know that I would necessarily believe that, oh, I'm just going after Shaw. I'm going to do all these different things. No, you need a complex set of motives, I think, to really justify something that is that crazy. That is that Mission Impossible esque, and the God's Eye is a great. It's a Mission Impossible element. This is something that Ethan Hunt would probably have on his belt or inside his team's you know compound of like you know what, let's just get the God's Eye out for this one, boys. And I think it speaks to the step that the franchise takes in that regard to a level of unbelievability. And I that's what I wrestled with more than anything with this movie was okay. How much am I forgiving this movie because I love the franchise to start kind of nitpicking some things that are like, that's not quite what would happen. Or I don't necessarily believe that. And the thing is, I don't do that with Mission Impossible. Why? Because I choose to suspend my disbelief because the environment, because the tone, because all the stuff is set up for me to say, this is the world we live in. And for me, when I see heavy-duty cars coming out of the sky on parachutes, and I see really fast cars going through not one, but two buildings in Abu Dhabi. At that point, I'm going, all right, I'm willing to take on the fact that this God's eye could actually exist and that it complicates things. 
beyond that, I think I don't really need the moral dilemma because that's not really what this movie serves well is that moral dilemma for me at least to- totally with you i think that it, it's too much for this movie as well it's not it doesn't it's not consistent with the the franchise and the goals of the storytelling and it would actually really mess up the tone to stop and deal with a moral dilemma but i was i just appreciated that there was i feel like there was a nod to that in the way that they hesitate to giving it over they hesitate in thinking about the power of this tool before they actually use it and then we get into the you know fun action of using it. I actually had a different response and really think that it is a wonderful piece of tech to have be the central device because I felt like it mattered. Like this is something that really is a useful thing. It's not just somebody who is trying to steal something that will help them have money. This is a serious problem if it gets out on the black market, like like a big time problem for a warlord to have this and and so I felt like it was appropriate escalated action to deal with the stakes at hand of this specific device in a sense. Um, and specific or speaking of action. So listen, I was surprised again, which I have been many times watching through the series and for the podcast. But when I was jotting down the number of action scenes in this movie, comparatively to other ones i was shocked at how many i felt like there were and yet unlike some films where i feel like the action scenes kind of define the movie i never really feel like that about these i i guess i would say in my opinion james wan takes over from justin lynn and the action gets bigger and i think it gets as good or better in some places. And I yeah. think that the flow of the action mixed in with the drama is perfect. So um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that to make a comparison to genres of music or even like dance sequences, the maturity level of James Wan, I think takes us from a rock and roll action movie to more of like a passive double or something that feels more refined. I felt like, as I was watching these things play out, which again, that last sequence, you have multiple things happening. You have a street fight happening in conjunction with other things going on. But even from the beginning, the fight between Hobbs and Shaw inside the office building felt really clean. The camera sequences were pretty fantastic. At times I felt like the slow motion was a little overdone, but I loved seeing moments like the rock bottom done at a weird angle. I love seeing how the camera attached to the table rotated and then we kind of shot in on like, oh, there's a gun there. Cool, whatever. So I think that when it comes to action sequences, I think we've talked about this with like Michael Bay. If there's a lot going on, there's a risk that you're going to miss things, that there's just so much. It's one of my pet peeves with the – what is it? The, uh, the Bourne series is that – Everything feels so up close and fast that I don't have time to process it in terms of appreciating the choreography. James Wan amps up the action, but he takes real good care of making sure that the audience is able to consume it in a way that feels entertaining. Yes, he does. And he does the same thing in Aquaman, which is a five-star movie and one of the best comic book movies of all time. Thank you very much. I will say it until the day I die. Moving on. 
back to this movie. So action scenes aplenty, Patrick. You're so right. And you, you mentioned a couple of them. Let's talk about some of your favorites. Here's the rundown as I kind of noted them. So we get Hobbs versus Shaw in the office building. Epic battle, rock bottom. Still one of my greatest, like, oh my God moments in a theater ever was being like, <gasps> he just rock bottom. Jay Statham, Jason Statham. Like, it was so good. Um, we get Dom versus Shaw, two street fights, part one and part two. These two alpha dudes who literally drive their cars headfirst into each other because that's the kind of men that they are. And it, and it's totally believable that they would do that to me. <laughs> to me, I fully believe that they would do it twice. Uh, of course, Dom gets the better of him the second time. Dom is smarter, and I like that. Uh, we get the awesome airplane drop with Roman's hilarious, you know, not coming out and Tej being like, you know, I planned on this. And he, no, brother, I'm sorry. Pop. <laughs> and that's <laughs> so good. And it's just an epic scene. It's so memorable when you're talking about like great action scenes in cinematic history. This one will come up because it looks incredible and is amazing. And it hasn't been done before. Um, and then we get Brian, two hand to hand fights, really good against Tony Jaw, an actual martial arts like icon which is awesome. We get the mountainside driving with Dom driving down the mountain the first time, like being chased. And then we get the second time where Dom actually literally drives off of the cliff and wrecks his car. That's one of the unbelievable moments for me is like, there isn't, you're not living. Like I kind of, I love that they try to justify things, Patrick, because if you remember, there's the line of dialogue back in the office before they, start to do the infiltration of the mountain where he tells Tesh, he's like, I need the demon love child between that and that. So you know that he's going to have some sort of a roll cage and protection system built into that car. But it's, it's pretty unbelievable that it would have been able to sustain that regardless, whatever. It's fine. They lived he and Ramsey and we get the awesome Brian moment of running up the bus, getting caught by Letty off the side of the cliff. Another incredibly a memorable moment that reminds me of Uncharted 2 so much because of this bus scene where he's like running. And this is the first time you'll actually have be able to make that connection uh, because you finally played the game. And we get I the totally had that connection. <laughs> I was like, when are we going to get to learn how he does that? Yeah, when are we going to get game mechanics? <laughs> What's right? the button sequence that Brian had to yeah. push in order to exactly, successfully? Right? <laughs> that was a heck of a quick time event. But then you have, uh, you know, the like in hypersport car. Like you said, jumping through two towers in Abu Dhabi, which I also find interesting because we have uh, another awesome action movie in the Mission Impossible series where Ethan Hunt is outside of the same towers um, with the sticky things on his hands in Abu Dhabi. And now there's one less car in the world. And I think we go from seven to six, which is sad. Uh, and then we have from Infinite Runway, Patrick, to Infinite War Zone of L.A., complete with war helicopters a predator drone incredible awesome driving action and the, all those street fights at the end and you know hobbs picking up a minigun and it, it's insane it is an absolutely insane action sequence so of those did anything like really stand out did you like it as a whole like i was talking about that flow or did some of them kind of not land for you very well were you rolling your eyes how did it work well, when you look at the whole franchise, I think something that I have admittedly taken on is action fatigue. And 
So getting into this entry, I think subjectively speaking, a lot of these sequences feel a little too long for my taste. I think if I watch this movie a year from now, having not binged an entire series like this, it would probably feel just fine. What I do like is there is definite consistency in the wow factor. I don't think one scene tops another. I think that from the very beginning, when you look at individuals who are taking on each other, like Dom and Shaw or Dom and Shaw later on, everything about those sequences comparatively to the machine-based sequences are on par with the wow factor, with the amped up type thing. I mean, you've got these two guys sitting in, I guess, I don't say a warehouse, but maybe under a bridge or something, and they're about to collide. I mean, there's no there's no bones about it. They're going to just ram each other. And they do, and neither one of them dies. And then there's this great line of dialogue where Dom looks and he says, oh, you've got a reinforced chassis, giving us the oh, that's how he survived, that kind of thing. Also, I'm always sad when cars just get destroyed in this series because they're just beautiful cars, as we'll talk about in our bonus content. How many but, black go, chargers does Dom have Like on know. standby? He goes to I the garage know. of the blown-up house, and he finds another one, and I'm like, is it, it's like, is it cloning them? Because it, 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 Yeah, it spawns. It's a spawning it's a spawn garage point. is what it is, which is why you probably don't get another one from that garage because the house blows up. Yeah. I guess they got, <laughs> so, you know, tore down the garage after that or something. But. Yeah. Something. And so now you can't, yeah, you can't spawn new, new chargers. But I think overall the consistency of the, of the action was very much consistently big. Like none of them felt like they were going any lower or higher or like they were trying to top the action sequence before the one before it. So overall, I really enjoyed it. A little long, but that's a subjective opinion. But overall, really good. Yeah, I think in a bubble, I feel like that infinite action sequence in L.A. is a little too long as well. If I was nitpicking this movie, that's on my list of nitpicks, along with the casting of Ronda Rousey. We get our second female MMA superstar in a row, Gina Carano, who holds her own in, you know, Fast and Furious 6. And then we get Ronda Rousey, who I really wish wouldn't have had speaking lines in this oh, movie. Oh, gosh. They're God, so she opened they're bad. Her mouth? They're bad. They're what? not defensible. They are terrible. <laughs> no, they're they really. I mean, yeah, I, I, I've told you this, that you've got this. When you compare the two, it, it makes Gina really shine. Look like an Oscar look, actress. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> She is she is very much serviceable in in her entry and and I liked her and I think we talked about that on the episode. She wasn't someone that was like a an eyesore. She didn't take us out of the moment like exactly. Rhonda does. Yeah, Rhonda's like, <laughs> guys, it's awful. And even the choreography just didn't feel clean no. in that regard. Like I felt like, man, you should just just pop her, Letty. Just put her down, you know, because she just uh, she's not very she's not very attractive. And she says, hey, I'm glad you came along. Because, I don't even want to try to say the line because it's just too terrible. But anyway, yeah, that's good. Not good that's right. the eyesore in the movie. That That's the one. Well, last but not least, um, big, big question. There is fun thing. Well, fun fact first. There is no post credit scene in this movie. And I found that to be a really welcoming change. 
I didn't know that going in or it wasn't on my mind going in. I probably had you know, noticed before, but I think that that's because the, the ending that they wanted us to see is what we saw with Paul and the tribute. And I really did appreciate it just so much that, that we weren't asked to go from that back into this fun little, let's get excited about what's next. I also think part of it may have been because they didn't know where the series was going after that because they had figured out. Um, and they had to decide what was going to happen in the future. But I just want to note that. So here's the big question. Do you feel like this film overall managed the tragic passing of Paul Walker during filming in a respectful and entertaining way, both? And is there anything that you wish they would have done differently? In some ways, Aaron, I wish that we didn't get fate of the furious. Furious 7 really does put an exclamation point on Paul Walker as an actor, the tribute to him as a character, Brian getting his closure, seeing him as a character holding his son up in the air and being very free, seeing the others looking at him. I, I didn't want fate i mean i i want the franchise and i'm looking forward to the next two entries but i think that if you were to finish on a high note furious sevens ending what i would for me be very much appropriate for everybody letty is back whole with dom as a new person with roots as well you've got the potential, to, it almost felt like a serious finale where you go, it could go anywhere, but I want it to go somewhere in my mind. And I don't want to know what happens to these characters as told by director C or director D. That being said, we got fate. And now we sort of have a platform that we can rein that back in with Justin Lin at the helm for nine and 10, bring back some familiar characters, <laughs> Lucas Black and confirmed to, i looked it up i'm so excited yeah. and allow for us to finish the series with the family and not just with paul so i th think when you when you look at this yes i think the i wouldn't change a thing at the same time i think now that we have fate we need to be able to resolve the rest of the family i need closure with the rest of the family and not revisit it I agree. I agree 100%. I would have been perfectly happy, content, if we didn't continue. This is the, you know, ideal wrap up and ending, essentially. And the corner that we get backed into, it's a double edged sword because throughout the series, we've continually been introduced to new, numerous new characters that have kind of become part of this family, only not the close-knit core group, which is what we get the wrap-up for here. But characters like Elena and these other people who we then now have the opportunity to see endings for as well. And so the series, like if it would have ended today, we wouldn't have known well, what has happened to Hobbs, what happens to Elena. You know what I mean? Like they don't really get a wrap-up. And so it sort of is unfortunate because the series had all these awesome new people come into it 
that now it feels like it has to be able to wrap them up as well. And so I think that that's what's going to happen in 9 and 10 is we aren't going to just rewrap it up for the characters that we know. We're going to wrap it up for everybody in the entire franchise. And I'm still super excited to see it. And again, I've said this every single episode, I think, but I am excited because Justin Lin is doing it. If it was not Justin Lin, I would be very concerned and more worried and frustrated about what could possibly happen than I am at peace and, you know, anxious and happy, ready to go. So good stuff. All right. Actual connecting point time, Patrick. This is obviously the no brainer for us. The final sequence of the film after the action in LA is done. We start with that pan onto the beach. Take it away. I'll let you start. Oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know that I can do it justice, but this is essentially the moment that the Kleenex box just gets emptied. If it hasn't already, we have Paul, Brian, they're interchangeable at this point. I love that they're dressed in white, that we almost feel like we're in heaven, like we're sending him off because it's time to, time to go. But we see him happy. We see him content. You know, throughout the film, that's been a through line for him is when will he be content? When will the bullets and the lack of bullets be enough for him? When will his family be enough? And then we get that moment where he is, he holds his son Jack up and you see him smiling. You see the rest of the crew looking back at him and saying, man, that's where he's supposed to be. Yeah, home. That's where he's supposed to be. And then we get the moment that I think completely supersedes it. So if that was the ending, fine. But then we get the one real meta moment that completely stands out to me. And that's when Dom takes off and Brian, is he in a skyline? I can't tell, but it's a white, it's a white skyline. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's dressed in white, and you've got this great shot of him looking back at Dom across the lane. Dom looking at him, and they're smiling. And and Dom gives that great set of dialogue, that great monologue that says, look, you'll always be my brother. Mm-hmm. And you'll, essentially, you'll always be family. And it's just this, oh, it's this tender moment that you don't expect from Vin Diesel as an actor necessarily. But you expect it from Dom. And I think what it does is when you interchange that with all these little this little montage of Dom and Brian from these past films, first of all, I think it's really hilarious to see how Brian's haircut changes over the course of these films. <laughs> but it's it's amazing to see how the through the editing we're able to see them smile at each other, how even from the very beginning, and I think he says this early on in the movie, he says, you know, from the very beginning, I knew that you were different. I knew that you were someone who took chances, someone who wasn't going to back down. And then he has that great monologue. And then there's that shot of the two cars from above and they take off and it's not a race. It almost just feels like a casual drive. And then you see Brian's car just take off and the camera follows him and then it fades to black and it goes, you know, for Brian or for Sorry, for Paul. Again, because they're interchangeable at this point. It's like Vin is talking about Brian, just like, or Vin is talking about 
Paul, just like Dom is talking about Brian. And you don't even try to make the distinction because you could tell in that moment. I'd like to believe, Aaron, that that set of lines, he wrote himself. That that was not written by Chris Moore. I, that I'm was, pretty sure it would be, yeah. I mean, it feels like it is. Yeah, it felt authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think it brought us as an audience to that point where we said, we're going to miss him too. He was part of the family. He was part of this crew. And that goes back to my previous comment of like, I would have been fine if we didn't have another entry because to me that, that was enough and I was okay leaving it that way. Yeah. I think that the framing of it is so critical here, not just the words, but the sequence and the way that we get there starting off at the beach with Brian getting up and leaving them to go play with Mia and Jack and the rest of the characters just observing that and having that great dialogue Roman talking and Tej is like close your mouth for two seconds and just open your eyes man and then Roman goes beautiful and then you get Letty where this is where he belongs and Dom goes home where he's always belonged and then Roman says things are going to be different now which is so meta because we all know that as fans and for them as the family as in character family and also as actor family and then you know when you mentioned the the way the cars come up to each other it's awesome because dom just gets up and starts to leave and i don't remember who asks him somebody's like you're not gonna say goodbye and dom says it's never goodbye and it's like it's showing us he he refuses to acknowledge in a sense like he's not gonna say goodbye to brian He's going to just, you know, he's just going off to drive. And when drive, when drive, when Brian pulls up to him at that stop with that grin, he says, hey, you thought you could leave without saying goodbye? And it's just, it's just so beautiful because that bond is so real. And even if, you know, that's not actually Paul Walker, like the fact that that is exactly what Brian and Paul would both do in that moment. They'd want to go for a drive with their best friend because that's what they've done since they've known each other. Um, and, and then I think it's accented because it's just a phenomenal song that is written specifically for this moment. Lyrically, musically, it fits like a glove. And you get that montage with Salute Mi Familia and You'll Always Be With Me and You'll Always Be My Brother. It's, it's, it's just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Wrecks me every time. And, and it's great. Um, perfect ending. So yeah, definitely the connecting point of probably the entire series, honestly, Um, but unfortunately, I mean, I wish it wasn't, but it is. Yeah. But it says a lot about the care that James Wan took in this regard, because he could have said, we get, we got to shelve this. And instead he found ways to push it forward because I think I'd like to believe that Paul Walker would have wanted it to continue. He would have wanted the story to complete. And honestly, Aaron, I don't care that we have standards. I don't care that we have Photoshop or, or whatever it is. The sincerity that came through completely sh- overshadows that. And I, I don't care. And, and kudos to everything that was done to make that story complete and to put that kind of tribute together in a way that didn't feel hokey 
it didn't feel inappropriate and that it was just yeah it was fitting well that'll do it for our adventure through the fast and furious universe as aaron said you can check out all of our previous episodes that we've covered this summer as well as fate and hobbs and shaw that we've covered so long ago it seems <laughs> we hope that you have enjoyed listening to us uh rave about why we think this is one of the best franchises um, in movie history and we'll fight you otherwise maybe with tongue-in-cheek in some ways but the fact is we love this franchise and i think we've been pretty successful at showing you why so if you don't love the franchise if you don't even like it if you're listening to this episode and any of our other episodes maybe this has turned a corner for you maybe you're going to give it a second chance we hope that's the case because we honestly believe this is a, a great franchise and worth investing in even though it's very big but then again so is star wars so whatever right <laughs> well coming up this week aaron mentioned that we have our donor pick in the form of mean girls as well as some fun bonus content for our patrons where we discuss the Mount Rushmore of Fast and Furious cars that we deem worthy. And following that, we kick off August with one of our favorite sci-fi movies, The Martian, starring the seemingly always abandoned on a silent planet, Matt Damon, as well as other people who try to rescue him. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. That's coming up next week. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, my friend. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.